You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider of the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the EV website, The Driven. And joining me as usual is Nigel Analytics. Nigel Analytics. My God. You'd think after all these years I would have got your name right and your company right and none of them are actually different. Nigel Analytics. It's, it's one just, of the better things I've been called, I have to say. One, so, of, the, one of the better things. Nigel, Mr. Think, Analytics to you. This this Mr. Analytics, I think this this could be a prompt for a new shingle or a new a new thing. Anyway, Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel. <laughs> um uh, apologies for that. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Santa's coming. I'm Santa's, excited. He's on his way. Is he left? coming. He's on his um, way. You'd have to be. You'd have to. You'd have to be riding an electric vehicle or um, flying electrically this year, wouldn't he? You'd think so. All I want for <laughs> Christmas is a new charge cable. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the last one? I just needed. You know, it's a long story. I think I wrote about it in a story about how charge cables are the charge cables are the bane of my life at the moment. But we digress. We do, we do, yeah, do. Look, apologies to all the people that we ought to have been um, fraternising with at the Sundowners oh, drinks at the Opera so House, but um, I know, yes, but neither um, of us could make it this week, sadly. But uh, you yeah. know, here's here's to everyone down there who's going to do demonstrate the solar industry's incredible skills at smashing enormous bar tabs. <laughs> yes, I think it's um. Um, yes, one of the many skills of the industry. So I um, hope yeah. everyone's catching up and having great fun there. Um, we've got an interview with one of the attendees. I just put that in the bag. Uh, Chris McGrath from 5B, who we'll hear from later on. They just announced a, um, the purchase of IXL Solar down Adelaide, former um, auto parts company that turned its hand to solar mounting systems and um, just about to launch themselves into gigawatt scale projects up at Sun Cable and stuff like that. So that's pretty interesting uh, stuff. Do you, do you know, I've been to that factory. No way. I've been to that factory. When I used to work in the automotive industry oh, decades ago, 40 years ago, I was a fitter and turner and I worked in an automotive plant making, creating the problem, as I like to remember, before I switched to creating the solutions by, by moving out of polluting car industries and one of our suppliers was that company i went there several times to have a look at how they made little brackets and stuff for us fantastic fantastic that's it that's the whole story that's the whole story well there's another manufacturing facility down there um tinder who we've had uh, talked to on several occasions um and they've just announced a recycling venture with reclaim so that's really good news um because it's very important that panels do not go into the landfill and um, that we get um, any panels that need to be removed or replaced properly recycled. So um, that's good news. That's good news. Recycling's been on the agenda. I had a call. I might have news. I might have really oh. interesting news about this if I'm lucky in a few weeks to share with the listeners. But, yeah, recycling's really just been on everyone's radar, hasn't it? Well, it should be. 
mean, it should be. It should be. Yeah, it should be because yeah. it's going to become an issue because it's not. It's no longer sufficient just to produce green electricity. You've got to think about the whole supply chain now. You've got to think about the beginning of life and the end of life um, for That's these right. products. And people are just sort of t talking about. I mean, you know, some people sort of describe it as circular economy and all that sort of stuff. Um, not names that necessarily sort of come out and sort of bite you on the shin or, or whatever, but um, important. Important though, and it's really important. It is. We've seen the same thing with wind turbines, actually. There's, you know, these massive um, blades, you know, they're like 60, 70 metres long, even longer, and they're basically laid down lengthways in these massive landfills, and now they're actually sort of working to make them fully recyclable. So, um, yeah, so you don't yep. have these damn things just sort of sitting there in these massive pits, which are not a good look for the industry when that happens. No, it's not. I've seen, I've seen bike shelters and, and, you know, bus shelters and all sorts of things being made out of wind turbine blades. And I have to say, when I was chatting to someone about this recycling issue just the other day, I learned something. Uh, I learned something most days being, you know, there's lots of capacity for learning. And um, uh, I discovered uh, First Solar, who'd been around forever, they make uh, a really high-end thin film module um, almost exclusively for large-scale commercial plants. They have an internal levy built in to fully close the loop on their solar modules. It was part of how they had to get financing being a being a thin film product. Um, they've had to do that uh, since forever. And so they know exactly how to do that and exactly how to collect the funds and create the infrastructure and the ecosystem to create that closed loop. So big shout out to First Solar, who've been doing this quietly in the background forever. Um, you know, there's a, there's a goal. For the rest of the manufacturers, uh, get that levy built in there and work out how to do it just like First Solar. Very, very good. Look, while we're on the topic of manufacturing, Nigel, let's just go into this interview with Chris McCarthy because it's a pretty interesting stuff. I mean, it's a major deal for these guys. They started up in Sydney just four years ago, got this really innovative, modular, rapidly deployable system, kind of looks like just sort of, you can sort of you know, be prefabricated, sits in the back of a truck, you can just sort of roll it out. And they're going to, you know, they've only done about 32 megawatts so far, but just about to embark on a whole sort of gigawatt scale projects or multi gigawatt scale projects anyway. So I caught up with Chris McGrath from 5B and um, this is how it went. Uh, Chris McGrath from 5B, thanks for joining the Solar Insiders podcast. Thank you. Wonderful to join. So you have announced this week the purchase of IXL Solar. That sounds like a pretty significant deal for 5B. Tell us what you're doing and why. We have, yeah. It's really exciting to finally be able to talk about it publicly, as you might imagine. Uh, we've been w working uh, on that for, for quite some time behind the scenes with um, our team and, and IXL Solar. Uh, IXL Solar uh, have been a partner of ours for over three years now, manufacturing our, our Maverick solution. They've actually manufactured more Mavs than we have. Um, we operate a partner model um, and we, we really deeply believe in collaboration and and getting ourselves and our partners in, into our respective power lanes to be able to, to grow our impact and the deployment of solar globally as quickly as we can um, to solve climate change as fast as we can because the clock's ticking. Um, so IXL Solar have, have been an amazing partner to us and um, we, we've recognised that the, the, the experience um, that, that they have or the expertise that they have and the experience that they've built with our product is, is really valuable um, and we really wanted to lean into that collaboration and kind of get them get them and, and the team kind of closer to our problem and our, and our opportunities and get them really working on it as, as a more deeply integrated um, partner and, and you know, to become part of our team as opposed mm. to an, an external partner. Um, mm. So it's really helping us to consolidate 
how we do product development, product industrialization, and also make sure that we've got a best in class blueprint for how we should do manufacturing with our partners. Mm. And then that becomes a, a, a foundation for us to, to take to the rest of the world and the rest of our partner ecosystem um, to be able to continue to stand up new partners in new countries to build our supply chain and, and grow into the gigawatts and gigawatts. Now, yeah, about that gigawatts. I mean, part of the reason that you've um, uh, you've stated for buying this, uh, for making this acquisition, is that you want to sort of grow into sort of gigawatt scale opportunities. Now, look, up to date, um, for the last three years, you've probably produced only about thirty-two megawatts, I think, or maybe thirty-four megawatts, mm-hmm. around about that. Um, how do you go from there to like a gigawatt scale opportunity, particularly the ones that are presented, such as Sun Cable up in the Northern Territory? Mm-hmm. Um, speed, collaboration, fundamentals, I think, all, all have to be there. Uh, for, for us, I mean, we, we work in the, in the deployment side of, of solar power plant technology. So, you know, we don't have deep tech um, risk or challenge in our business. It's, you know, we're developing a relatively low tech solution, but one that we can really rapidly roll out across our, our partner um, ecosystem and, and, and out through our deployment platform. Um, and, and for us, therefore, I guess once, as we get the tech right and as we get our partner ecosystem right, then it makes that a very scalable model. Um, and it's one that yeah, we'll, we'll be building um, gigawatts with a product that looks pretty similar to our current product, um, but that has been driven at, at, at much greater volume um, mm. through those partners. So, so it really goes to kind of collaboration. I think the mentality that we're always in is, is really like bigger pie kind of mentality. You know, the, the solar market is is essentially infinite into into the future compared to where we are today. There's 60 terawatts or so to build, which is a 60x growth from where we are today. It's really about like how as an industry do we do we all partner together and, and do all the things required to achieve that growth. Mm. So, so Sun Cable is talking about doing some manufacturing. I mean, its it, its plan is for 20 gigawatts of um, solar, probably starting in 2023, maybe depending on the sort of timing of financial investment decisions and sort of building that out over the next five years. It's talking about like a gigawatt scale manufacturing facility in the Northern Territory. Is that going to be your stuff, or do you have to kind of bid in to have a part of that, or what can you tell us about that at the moment? I mean, some of it might still be um, all confidential. Yeah, the, I mean, I'll, I'll talk as much as I can about it. The, the Sun Cable project is obviously hugely exciting and it's really um, pioneering and, and helping to, sh- to show us and helping for us to, to learn and develop insights as to how do you build projects at, at that kind of scale, which, which in case anyone you know forgets or doesn't realise the world hasn't done yet um, and the industry hasn't done yet and, and it's a pretty significant challenge. Um, we also see it as reflective of the challenge for... The industry to grow into into that kind of volume, you know, in particular markets like Australia, building 20, 30, 40 gigawatts per annum is 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 not dissimilar to building one project at that scale. There's obviously different challenges there, but it's really been an eye-opening experience to be at the front seat of that kind of project and really be be forced to stare at, you know, with with terror and excitement about how how do you do that, and mm-hmm. then to actively start solving those problems. Yeah. Um, so, so with Sun Cable, we're we're working on a collaboration around local content um, and and supply chain for their project, um, based in the Northern Territory. Um, it's a big part of part of the social license that they're developing for their project up there, um, and and we're really really happy and proud to support them on that. Um, so we'll be working on on a whole a whole bunch of different kind of initiatives around that, and we'll be able to talk about them a, a little bit more in time, but. You know, it, it will involve both 5B and some cable people working side by side to get a, a gigafactory up and running 
in the territory and ready to to deploy on that on that project. Sounds amazing. Now you talk about ultra low cost solar. Um, now the Australian government has actually come has finally sort of twigged to the potential of ultra low cost solar. Uh, they're talking about a price or, or a levelised cost of electricity from solar as low as fifteen dollars a megawatt hour, which is just wonderful for them to recognise that. They're talking about a stretch target by twenty thirty five. How low can we go, and how quickly can we get there? I thought you were about to start singing for a second. How low, how low can we go? Um, we, you, yeah, you, don't, we, you don't want to hear my singing voice. <laughs> it, it's awesome to see the government, um, you know, starting to embrace the the opportunity around ultra low cost, massive scale solar. Um, you know, that's a line that us and others in the industry have been pushing for for some time. Um, the, the, the government's um, a view of $15 per megawatt hour by 2035 as a stretch target you know, is great, but we, um, I'd say, are more ambitious and, and more bullish than that on how low we can get that and how quickly. It's really kind of a question of, of how low by when because you know, the curve just continues to decline until it hits a commodity floor at some point in the future, which is, which is still going to be lower than 15 bucks a megawatt hour. Um, but we, we do, like our base case is that we're achieving a, a build cost um, at, th at less than 30 cents Australian per watt by 2030. And that equates to about a $15 per megawatt hour LCOE. So yeah, we, we would say we, we believe we can do it faster. It, on our base case, which still has upside in front of it, if we can accelerate faster by doing things like we've just done with IXL Solar. So, Chris, what about sort of supply chain issues? We've heard about the difficulties in actually sort of finding stuff. Um, some of the commodities are difficult to come by. They're either expensive, there's shipping logistical problems. The IEA has warned that solar costs could actually sort of fit back, back to where they were two or three years ago. I mean, do you see this as a major hurdle or just a bit of a blip that sort of, you know, kind of COVID and economic recovery related? Oh, probably both. A, ma a major hurdle like blip <laughs> um, it's you know it's without understating the significance of those things it, it is entirely temporal in nature and and what's happening is a compound effect between you know ultimately it was triggered by COVID and then a bunch of flow-on effects in terms of energy availability in China and some geopolitical trade issues that have had some quirky impacts and flow-on effects around logistics and, and yeah, commodity price steel aluminium. Really weird time for the world and it's been a pretty challenging time to, to, to grow our business kind of into that into that industry that's really been in flux at the moment. Um, but but fund, like the fundamentals remain um, very solid and uh, both in terms of what we're doing and also the, the broad industry and those trend lines um, and, and it will e equilibrize. Um, I think the, the, the best kind of quote I've heard around this is don't bet against the experience curve and, and every graph you look at with solar PV costs just show continued reduction. If you look at it on a, on a five-year rolling basis, if you look at it on a six-monthly basis, there's lots of blips up and down um, yeah. and as to whether this one's a six-month or an 18-month blip, time will tell but um, it's, it, it will renormalise and will continue to plough through that. Um, I think it does, there are some interesting kind of trends that I think are more longer term and permanent though, or enduring, which is, um, you know, a shift from a centralised to a more distributed supply chain around the world generally. Um, and for the solar industry, that means confronting the, the, the question of, of how much and by when of, of global solar PV manufacturing will, will diversify outside of China. Um, you know, we don't have a direct 
kind of stake in that. We're not a module manufacturer, but we do interpose assembly of our product between module manufacturing and project size. So we do care deeply where modules come from. We also care deeply how they're made and to what quality and with what inputs, et cetera, and that they're compatible with the market that they're going to. So we, so we really, you know, we, we wrestle with that strategically to try to, to try to preempt and help and also help guide and influence, you know, how, how that supply chain develops to make sure that we can do our part of it in the best way that we can as well. Mm, cool. And look, just to finish off, just remind us, um, the name 5B, can you remind the uh, listeners um, where that name oh, came five, from? Five billion years uh, of sun left, um, which we see as both a, a, a challenge to make sure that human beings live out a total potential existence and also the opportunity with which to do it, which is practically infinite amount of energy available from the sun. Uh, we just need to work out how, how to harness it and more to the point how to harness it as much of it as quickly as possible. Good on you. Um, Chris, thank you very much for joining the Solar Insiders podcast and good luck with the transaction. And we'll look forward to hearing more uh, about this um, fantastic plans up in the Northern Territory and elsewhere. Awesome. Thank you, Giles. And big shout out to our team and all the team at IXL Solar who, who have worked tirelessly on this and will now be joining and continuing to work tirelessly on our mission. So, yeah, thank you to everyone. And that was uh, Chris McGrath from 5B. Um, as he said, uh, Nigel, um, 5B stands for 5 billion years left of the sun. Um, I'm not too sure Solar Insiders is going to be around that long. <laughs> Didn't we work out last episode that we count time by episodes of Solar Insiders, I think? And we can, we, can also, we can also count the number of solar systems installed every time you go on a little pause. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true, actually. We, we notched up quite a tally. So Mate, what anyway. else is... What else is happening around the place? Um, um, a solar switch off. Um, we've talked about that in South Australia quite extensively. Um, happened only once so far, I think, in March this year, but it's going to be able to happen in Western Australia from early next year. As predicted, as we predict, as we forecast. Uh, we've, I've been talking about this for ages and sounded like a great sales pitch for uh, relevant agent Morris, as I was uh, lovingly referred to. <laughs> by you um but no indeed we we, we know uh, that lots of other states are going to do it and wa have come to the announcement they've said from 14th of february next year uh it will apply for um that's for quotes that you give and then from 14th of march all installations will need to comply with the emergency solar management requirements what this means is that they've got to be able to manage be managed remotely enabling them to be turned off or down in response to a signal from Synergy when the Australian energy market operator requires a response to help prevent power system emergency. So like in South Australia, it should only be required on occasional circumstances, uh, wherever you've got really high solar penetration rates and low load in places like South Australia and WA, it's likely to happen more often. So that's why it's there. Interestingly, I've been following this really closely because we're an agent down in South Australia. We're obviously interested in what's going on and there's no news on the how it will be done yet. However, uh, uh, the WA government website does say the technology requirements to implement DPV management, as they're calling it, align closely with those in South Australia. The only difference that they have noticed is that in the enhanced voltage management, where the voltage on feeders is increased to trip off solar systems, wasn't included in WA. So they've got some different requirements. We don't know exactly how it's going to play out yet in terms of what technology is required. But uh, for anyone in WA, uh, subscribe to the government page so that you're up to speed. They've got a lot of info there and uh, promising more very, very soon.
And they've also got this, um, what they're calling Project Symphony, which is all about the sort of orchestration of distributed things. So I don't know whether the Solid Switch Off is kind of part of that or is an additional or just or in addition to that, but that's about sort of managing loads and things like that. So they're really interested in getting as much communication stuff inside your home so they can kind of orchestrate all that distributed energy um, resources, which is going to be pretty fundamental to Western Australia, unlike South Australia, which has a higher rate of solar. In fact, I think we got to 110% last week solar, um, but that, not rooftop solar. I think rooftop solar has got to about 92% or something like that. That's still pretty good. But Western Australia, of course, doesn't have a link to another state grid, so it's um, got bigger challenges in managing that um, penetration because it's going to need a little bit of backup um probably gonna need a whole bunch of batteries small medium and big yes indeed uh and and you know i've, I've had a couple of calls from inverter manufacturers in the last week saying oh woof, what do we do what do we do how do we do this how do we do this so you know everything up to five kilowatts uh is going to be affected by this so um yeah mm. I think by the time we've you know, raced to the end of the year, uh, taking the boat down to the creek, throwing a line in, had a couple of tinnies with the family, and we're back. It'll be on. We'll be, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be ready to go in WA. That's great. Yeah. Now, look, there's something else on the list here before we take a, 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 um, a message from our sponsors, um, or at least one of them. Um, ASR report. Um, the acronym's beyond me, Nigel. Approved solar retailer, my friend. Approved oh. solar retailer. The program, uh, loved and hated as it is, uh, their report came out recently. And actually, there are two things I'm just going to say. Now, full disclosure, I am an industry rep on the panel. So, you know, every quarter or so, I get a bit of a rundown on how things have been going. Um, if there's difficult cases or challenges or stuff like that, I sometimes get called in to give a view. Um, but the best thing about it was actually some of the stories and statistics around how this is helping solar businesses. There are a couple of businesses that were, you know, hauled up uh, and told, well, hang on, you're in breach of the approved solar retailer code of conduct. You've done this wrong or done that wrong. And the best part about it to me was hearing these great stories about businesses saying, oh, if we have made a mistake, we need your help. We want your help to work out how to improve our business. Please help us. And and the, the speed and the willingness and the enthusiasm to fine-tune. Of course, they want to stay approved because they need that for to be active in some markets. But there is also a real genuine willingness from a lot of the companies who have been hauled up uh, who um, really wanted to change their business practices and make sure that they were fully compliant. So there were some great stories coming out of it, and that's where it's a really productive program, I think. Of course, for those who weren't so forthcoming and didn't answer the emails and didn't seem to care, they get booted. Uh, there are 1,400 companies who are signed up now, but interestingly, 22% are rejected. They don't even get through it. So it's there's a lot of discussion. I've been involved in a lot of discussion about is the bar high enough? Is Could it be higher? You know, so there's always a balance to get right. But um, certainly there are some companies who have been ejected from the program and some who don't even get in because they can't uh, meet the bar. So um, I think it's... Uh, I think it's a terrific little program uh, and it'll be really interesting to see how with the CER coming into the fray over the next year or so, how the ASR and, and you know, helping retailers, not just belting them over the head with a stick, but actually, you know, constructively helping them to uh, to improve their compliance. So I thought that was a great, great example of retail behaviour. 
Oh, good on you. Um, mate, um, DC Isolators. Now, I've got to say, um, the story that um, we wrote on DC Isolators a couple of weeks ago is the most read story on the website um, for the whole year. So, um, yes, um, right. I don't know why, but um, it certainly got a lot of people interested. Mate, um, look, it's, it, look, it seems to be sort of conflicting views over this. I mean, um, good step forward, but, you know, maybe half a step back. What, what's your – where do you think we're sitting, Nigel, on this? Well, the good, and I had a whole bunch of conversations on Friday with various different people, some who were – you know, panicking and literally saying we're going to close up shop on the 19th of December when this comes into force because we just can't, we can't get product. We can't get inverters that have approved isolators in it. And I have to say that one of the companies I spoke to said, the bloody CEC, you know, they're responsible for this. And I said, well, actually they're not. It is not the CEC. Just to be 100% clear, the CEC has actually been working feverishly in the background. And I'm not saying this because I love the CEC. They make plenty of mistakes along the way but i know for a fact that they are not the protagonists of this they are not the people who indeed caused this whole drama um, it was caused by uh, primarily by the electrical safety authorities and there's a bunch of them and i won't go into all the detail but the good news is although it's not formal and there has not been a communique issued widely yet uh, i have seen a note from the clean energy council referencing um, the chair of Iraq and the SCO EWG by a guy by the name of Brian Richardson, who is the man who is largely responsible for whether we get away with this or whether we don't, apparently. And he has acknowledged in writing, and I'm going to quote, he does not foresee insurmountable barriers to the DC isolated test certificates obtained for 2015 compliant inverters and their integrated DC isolators being used to demonstrate compliance of their equivalent models of 2020 compliant inverters and their integrated DC isolators. So in effect, what they, what uh, Brian Richardson has now said is that he understands because there isn't a lab in the world where you can get these DC isolators tested, that's a little bit of an oversight on their part to introduce a standard that requires that test. And so they're going to accept the previous tests, it would appear. Keep your eyes peeled because we're only literally 12 days away from the deadline, so... Everyone is very, very nervous about this, but I think, by the sound of it, Brian Richardson has uh, has acquiesced and realised that, um, yeah, oops, in, invisible testing labs are a challenge. <laughs> uh, the industry doesn't sort of need this this sort of stuff, you know. Just before Christmas, it's been an exhausting year for everyone in so many different ways. Um, yeah. Yes, it's um, just caused unnecessary yeah. sort of angst and tension and things like that. But look, if it's going to be cleared up, then I hope that statement that you had an obviously had a preview of gets out there quickly and just um and just sort of um yes calms a few nerves and um and a few anxieties indeed yeah but let's just take a quick message from our sponsors before we move on sunwiz are australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry sunwiz now offers a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation that builds referrals Visit somewheres.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. And of course, we'd like to thank all of our sponsors um, who've been with us um, all this year and much of the previous year and probably the year before that as well. So that's uh, Solar Analytics, Sunwears and Clenergy. And I hope also into 2022. Nigel, what else do we have on the agenda today? 
Well, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to my guest last week on um, Great Solar Business, um, uh, Gerard Brody from Consumer Action, uh, and I had a wonderful chat, actually. Consumer Action takes sort of consumer complaints about all sorts of things, but solar has become a big focus of theirs, and indeed, Gerard has been the chair of the Approved Solar Retailer Code of Conduct panel for some time because it became such an issue for Consumer Action. So he's deeply involved, and... So I had a really terrific chat about the consumer complaints they get, what the big issues were around solar, of course, and, and other issues. I probed into whether the solar industry was better or worse than other industries. And importantly, really sort of, you know, sought his guidance and advice on how quality companies who are trying to do the right thing can stand out from the crowd. So it was a really interesting chat. If you uh, haven't caught that episode, do log in. And I have to say... When I was thinking about what to do for the last episode of the year, which will be next week, uh, I thought, well, who better to tell us how 2021 really was than installers and retailers? And so I lined up a, a stellar cast of eight solar installers and retailers who are going to give us the lowdown on how they survived covid Geddon and how they plan to survive next year. So. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I think you can get rid of the D, actually. It's Kobe getting, Kobe getting, getting, yeah, 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 yeah. But it was, a, it was a hell of a year. So I've got some really quick, short, sharp, sweet, punchy uh, questions. I've got a really interesting menagerie of people from all over the country, big company, small company, really interesting mix. So I think that'll be a lovely way to wrap up the year. Sounds like I might have to give a pay rise to the end of the producer who's going to be stitching that together. But um, um, that sounds great, <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> Shh, don't tell him. <laughs> she may be listening into this podcast, Nigel, so I'm not too sure. Um, but what else is happening? Um, a bit of um, a bit of crap solar. Um, terms and conditions and this this um it's always got it's always made me wonder about how much you can save and they do seem to be well they don't need to be pie in the sky calculations, but sometimes they do seem to be pie in the sky calculations, and you've seen a couple which clearly are. I just don't get it. I mean, frankly, you know, I mean, solar is such a good deal. The paybacks are wonderful. And I really am bewildered when I see quotes like the one my friend got the other day. Uh, yeah, typical scenario. Here's an email. I've got this quote. Can you have a quick look? Looks all right to me. Should I go ahead? No, 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 was the short answer. The savings and generation were overestimated by more than 20%. In some cases, even more. It was just outrageous claims about, you know, Various different things. Uh, so that was just outrageous and just made the whole deal look a whole lot better than it actually was. Um, what was interesting was, you know, as I dug into the fine print, because one of the things they said was that you'll never, if you ever have a problem, we're here to support you. You'll never have an out-of-pocket expense in the event that there's a problem. I thought, well, that's a pretty big claim because you never know what will happen. And, you know, most warranties don't cover every part of a problem. Um, but, you know, that's what they're saying. So I dug around their website found the terms and conditions, found the warranty statement, and lo and behold, completely contradictory to what they actually had in what they actually had in their marketing materials where it laid out all the costs and all the things that they were going to have to pay for in the event that there was a problem. So it was just an absolute garbage lie. They were misleading misleading claims about how long they've been trading. They were misleading claims about who they were and what they did for various community groups. And the price wasn't even that good. It wasn't even cheap. Um, it was actually horrendously expensive for the gear that he was getting. So, 
Yeah, it's it, it was a it was a really valuable lesson because the quote looks swish. He really liked the guy who gave him the quote. He impressed him. You know, it shows how hard it is. It remains hard for consumers to weave their way through this. And you know, I enjoy. Um, what did you call me the other week? The dusty shoe solar cop or something. I enjoy digging into that and going, well, you know, are you really validating these claims? If you if you can back these claims up, you've got a great offer. But all too often, unfortunately, it was um, it was lies and garbage, Charles. Lies and garbage. That's a bit disappointing. That's a bit disappointing. I'm not too sure Please. if I caught you dusting anything. In, but, um, I mean, there was you did. You said when you dusty. you should be in the dusty shoe solar cop brigade. <laughs> I, re- I, rec- I recorded it. You recorded it, and it stuck in your mind. I, I hope you weren't offended. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> you, know, really. you know how you know. Sometimes you know, often through your childhood or even in your adulthood, actually, someone says something to you, and it might just be the most benign thing, but it's just sort of something it just absolutely sticks in your brain, and you just can't get those two words or that description out of your head, and going, "I'm a what?" And going, "Oh, really? Okay, <laughs> that's the one. You're, a dusty, the one. Sh- You're a, dust, a dusty shoe man. Yeah, apparently, I don't know what that means, but you know." There's some dusty shoe thing that I have to apply now. We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, what else? What else have we got, Nigel? Well, there's lots happening in electric motorcycle news, and uh, the big news for me actually is I applied for my New South Wales EV rebate, and I've got a whole story coming on this because it was quite an interesting exercise. You know, the rebates were announced. I saw that Mark Latham had come out uh, with a whole lot of uh, absolute garbage uh on on fox about this the other week uh, claiming oh, that, I uh, that. You know, no, oh no no one was applying and you know it was only for the rich people and blah 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 okay you're wrong um nonetheless i applied um i kind of knew that motorbikes really weren't the target i'd already written to the minister about that said oh, i think you made a minor oversight minister it seems like you might have excluded electric motorcycles here's the million reasons why electric motorcycles should be included in your rebate program didn't hear back made the application when i discovered that the rebate program had opened up and patiently waited i got notification back a week or so that i'd been rejected for my electric vehicle rebate for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was a motorcycle, not a car. It only applies to cars. I don't know what what they've they've got against motorbikes, but I've taken that up with the minister yet again. But in good news, interestingly, although I'm excluded from a New South Wales electric vehicle rebate, I am not excluded owning a motorcycle from the stamp duty concession. And I had a very nice deposit of almost $1,000 in my bank account today as a stamp duty concession. So, Minister Keane, I very, very much appreciate that. I've um, expressed my gratitude and uh, and delight at that to him, but also highlighted that there's a missed opportunity to give rebates as well. Absolutely. I think that should... Uh, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that, actually, but there you go. But maybe they couldn't create a form where you had two wheels and things like that, like some of the other forms that you come across. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, that was that was that was nice. That uh, made me feel um, happy that I'd made a fairly significant investment in uh, electrifying my transport for the third time, and was able to flip my second-hand bike that's been sold to a, a happy young gentleman up in Newcastle now. So you know, a second-hand purchase was was you know I enabled someone to get into the market cheap by selling my my bike at a good price to someone else. So you know, um, we've got two bikes on the road now. 
so that's good. And there's also a record week. Uh, there were a number of records over the last few weeks, in fact. Uh, new land speed record for an electric motorcycle. I know everyone's been hanging for this. Uh, November 22nd, the Voxen Watman set a new record in the partially streamlined electric motorcycle under 300 kilograms class at one point, but get this, reaching 470 kilometres an hour. This is over the flying kilometre mind you so you know not just you know incredible result um they have to average two runs and and when it was all said and done they averaged it out the record stands at 455 uh they actually rattled off a bunch of different records the Watman uses the same interestingly the same mercedes electric electric engine as they use in the formula e mercedes car which i thought well it's no wonder the thing goes like bilio um and was piloted by um, famous MotoGP rider Max Biaggi. So um, good on you, Max, for lifting the bar and setting a new record. And, and you know, sort of more down to earth on another record, uh, a gentleman by the name of Scott Harkless set a new uh, record to cross the US. Uh, the Cannonball Run's been done by all sorts of people in all sorts of vehicles forever. Um, but he took his Energica Eva Rabilia, uh, uh across the East Coast to 3,862 kilometres by the route that he took in a record time of 93 hours. He had to cross deserts, rain, snow, uh, you know, really high temperatures, really low temperatures. He had all the usual challenges of charging and everything else. Uh, even got two punctures along the way, which cost him, you know, probably the better part of five or ten hours on his trip. Mm. But he still shaved 19 hours off the trip. Uh, so it cost him a hell of a lot in Red Bull. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, 93 hours, uh, four odd days to get across the United States from coast to coast on an electric motorbike. Big shout out to you, Scott. Amazing. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I tell you what's the interesting thing that's happening in the EV world as well. It's just all the rental companies, car companies that uh, are just putting electric vehicles up, up for hire. Um, we've got Six, which I think is um, sounds like an awful name, but um, it's essentially sort of the old thrifty. Um, there's got 65 electric vehicles coming into the market. Um there's um there's another 300 coming in um as part of another deal um done with Tesla internationally and uh, we're actually going out of Tasmania for a um for a few days and going to um um rent a Tesla down there so um oh nice fantastic yeah the charging if I was chatting with a fellow in in Tasmania and the, the charging infrastructure around Tasmania is fantastic you know it is. I've been there and I've tried it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Including what, including one spot though, where we did actually, um, it did actually cost us a dollar a kilowatt hour, which I thought was a bit steep. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, put, I, put, I put, I put, I put two kilowatt hours in just to see what it, looked, what it was like and what it felt like. But um, you know, I felt like sort of putting in a two dollar coin in the in the corner of it. But no, it had to be a credit card. But um, there you go. Anyway, uh, anyway. So, Nigel, I think that might be a bit of a wrap for today. That might be, mate. I, I think uh, we've got one. We've only got one episode. We've got great solar business next week, and then uh, the week oh, after wow. that will be our last episode for the year. What are we going to do in the last episode? Well, I think it's got to be a recap. 
It's got to be it a recap. recap. And we'll take reader suggestions too if you want to sort of send us some through any right, ideas about what you want to hear, um, people you want to hear, listen to, or anything like that. But um, we'll look forward to that. And um, look, thanks for everyone to, um, for, for listening all through the year. The, um, the downloads have been fantastic. I think between the three sites, it's about 100,000 downloads a month, which is just pretty amazing. And um, um, it's just great to have that um, feedback and support. So look, um, We've got um, we've got your great solid business podcast next week, Nigel, and then we're back again in a fortnight. I look forward to that. It should be good. And that'll be the, that'll be the week of Christmas too. I think I might even be down in Sydney. Gosh, we might even be able to maybe in the same Ooh. room. We tried that once Ooh. before, didn't we? It was awkward. It was awkward. It was awkward. If you're here, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay, mate. Thank you very much. Um, thanks once again to our sponsors, Sunwears, Solar Analytics, and Clean Energy. Um, thanks to you, Nigel. Thanks for Chris for joining us um, for the interview from 5B. Thanks to everybody out there. Give us your feedback, what you want to hear in the next episode. And um, fingers crossed for a safe holiday period coming up and probably starting already for some people. Anyway, we'll be back in two weeks. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.